Football season has actually started, and today I'm going to pick a new side team in the NBA. I mean, I heard tails. I heard heads. Of course, what we're referring to is Gino's um, overtime coin toss call last night. And it's kind of gotten to be like the blue dress. Remember the blue dress? Yeah, the gold dress. Tomato, tomato. I say I heard tails. You say you heard heads. Um, Doesn't matter because... Each team had multiple opportunities to score in overtime last night in a thriller that was very exhilarating and sloppy at the same time. And a heavyweight matchup for sure. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, But the coin toss thing had me thinking about another thing I've had going on, which is the admission um, that I need an Eastern Conference side team. Now, the concept of a side team in the NBA is where if you've been a Knicks fan since you were a kid, you should only have to suffer so much. Um, I've been a Knicks fan since 1994. When my family moved to Charlottesville, Virginia from Los Angeles, I was not an NBA fan. Years one through eight of my life. Um, The Knicks were a tough, rugged outfit in the 90s. Uh, That appealed to me as a suburban nine-year-old white kid. And uh, they also had the team colors of our beloved Virginia Cavaliers. Virginia Cavaliers. So I became a Knicks fan, and uh, now about um, 26 years later, hasn't really panned out, but I'm not jumping ship. I do deserve a respite, if you will, from my suffering, um, and that comes in the form of a side team. I think everyone should have one. If you are a front runner and you're not a loyalist like I am, then you don't get a side team. But if you're a loyalist, I know it doesn't sound right. No. If you're a loyalist and you've been a Knicks fan for 20 plus years, you deserve a distraction. And that has come in the form of a Western Conference team for me in the Blazers recently. Um, Love the personality of the team, love the unis. They're not a front running team. If they win, you're excited. So I made the admission on Twitter this week, uh, and some people were shocked at this concept of a side team. I thought, I thought many people had side teams. Do you have any side teams? No, is my answer. Mich- Are, Michigan? Okay, let's talk about Michigan. When the question is, where would you have gone to school if you hadn't gone to Virginia? My answer is Michigan. I applied. I got in. I visited. I love the school. Do you own a Michigan clothing? Very little. But some. That's a fine point. Some. Uh, should Michigan go winless for years on end? That's like the cyber cheating. That's, I am not that's, going to be bothered by that, that. That's like emotional cheating. You're not actually cheating on your team in Virginia, but you're emotionally cheating. You are on the, the cusp. I'm not. Do I know who Michigan has this week? I do not. 
Do I have Jim Harbaugh takes? I do not. Will I continue to pose myself questions? I might. <laughs> but no, Michigan is not a side team. And so you're talking about any sport, not just NBA. I think you can have one in any sport. For me, my fandom, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm an Eagles fan because that's where I finished. And that was, that was a special time. But I have a hard time actively rooting in the NFL. I've played in it too long. It's soured. The purity of being a fan has been soured by playing for 11 years. In baseball, when I grew up, um, I was a Yankees fan, mm. and uh, I lost interest in baseball. So, Well, as you said, growing up in the middle of Virginia with no professional team within two hours, it is tough. We have no geographic loyalty. No. I mean, people would like the team, the football team in Washington. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of that. Uh, we have a lot of um, Caprice Classics and, you know, old Ford Rangers driving around with the um, the Redskins flags. You know, team in Washington. The team yeah. in Washington. I try not to use the, the word. Um, there are a lot of Redskins fans. Uh, there's a lot of team in Washington <laughs> fans here in Virginia. Uh, but we, we don't have – a team and that's why when the Panthers and initially I was a Cowboys fan I was looking like a front runner years one through eight there Panthers came in the league Cowboys were doing a lot of cocaine when I'm a kid not thinking that's very cool had to adopt a new team oh yeah a lot of arrests I wanted to take the high road uh and I opted to be a fan of that new exciting Panthers operation and that was my favorite team I lived and died with the Panthers I was also a Penguins fan in hockey, a little more front-running. But I'm eight, nine years old here. I cried when the Penguins lost to the Florida Panthers. I'm afraid to Google what year that was because it could have been like 2003. You know, I, I, I remember producing tears at the end of that game. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, why the fuck did you care so much? Yeah. My quick take is that side teams are no bueno and side team people lack integrity. Yeah. My longer I don't take, own any blade. Well, I do own Blazers clothing. So, my longer take is that life is short and you should do what you like. Yeah, but there for a little while, the only thing you were missing was Duke. If you were Cowboys, Yankees, so I'm glad you've actually you've turned a bit into. Well, I perhaps, did. I did want to go to UNC for a while. Um, I thought the uniforms were really cool, but. Now I'm kind of the front runner because I'm a Virginia fan and we're good at everything. Uh, side note, we opened it up to Twitter. A lot of people wanted me to be a Sixers fan. I've rang the bell at the Sixers game, sort of. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's okay to be a front-running side team person. And the Sixers are a front-running team right now. The Sixers are hot right now. I mean, they're, they may be fourth or fifth record-wise right now, but they're an odds-on favorite in the East to be there at the end. So that's not an option. What we're going to do today, by the way, the Nets, very gracious people, if you see this picture here, they have been trying to pull me from the loving arms of the New York Knickerbockers recently, whining and dining me at their beautiful arena, um, courtside. And you got water boy Joe Buckets, Joey Hoops. Joey Hoops, Hoops 2-0. Got to see Malcolm Brogdon, Joe Harris. Um, and actually, Nets cut a check to uh, to Waterboys. That'll help. So they are trying hard to position themselves as my side team right over the bridge there. 
in Brooklyn, which is a lovely place. Lovely place. But I need a side team. So we're going to flip a coin. Yeah. We're going to flip a coin. And the rules of this coin flip are, in, in the spirit of Gino and last night, that is a regulation coin. I'm going to call heads or tails. If I win, I get to choose your, t- your side team for the year, correct? Right. And, and what are the penalties? Well, I think there's a minimum of a tweet a week. Now, if I lose, I, you choose my side team. Correct. Eastern Conference, because my Western's taken. Yeah, you need okay. You need to tweet about the club, and I'm talking retweeting team account, like, "Hey, we're ten and three with a big win over the X." <sighs> uh, you're wearing gear. I think you have to w- watch a game in its entirety at least once a month. Okay. I mean, live tweet the game. How about bi-monthly? Yes, and sure. Okay, so. For me, because I do tweet to about a half a million people. I don't know how many I tweet to. You don't tweet to a lot. Three digits. Three digits. Um, I think for me, it's a little tougher than it is for you. I agree. So I would, I would say that as long as we're doing this pod thing, and I, you have MLS to sell, right. real estate. So I'm not long for this seat here. Yeah, you're not long for this seat. But if, if we raise enough money, maybe we can keep him in the seat. <laughs> okay. uh, We'll, we'll pop that GoFundMe up later. You have to wear, for the entirety, the duration of your contribution to Greenlight Pod, you have to wear the gear of that team if you lose this coin toss through the season. Okay. At least a T-shirt every Friday, and they have to wear it at work, too. <laughs> not, not like you don't have to show up with Pacers gear on. <laughs> Is that going to be my glove? To the next, the, the next beautiful um, rural bucolic. Bucolic is the most used adjective in real estate. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Something does not have to be bucolic to be called bucolic. Well, around here, there's a lot of, yep. there's a lot of bucolic shit. Yep. That's um, true. So we'll, we'll flip this coin. This is a 2013 quarter. Uh, and it's a tag confusing because it features Mount Rushmore on the back. But we have uh, GW making an appearance okay. on the front and the back. Okay. But just so there's no Geno controversy. We go president or mountain. Let's just call, call it president okay. or mountain. Okay. This is heads, like any other quarter you've ever seen. But there's more heads on the back side. Two. So that's kind of ca- tails. But there's more heads on Mount Rushmore, so it's confusing. You can see why that would be confusing to me. Yeah. Can we rectify this? not in the time allotted okay so heads is george washington alone tails is, tails is george GW washington and his with, buddies with uh a cameo maybe from tj we'll look into that later okay all right you're gonna you're gonna toss this coin and i'm gonna call it in the air it's gonna land on the ground heads oh <laughs> took the coin toss off. i think that's a re that's a reflip yeah it is i'm not looking at it okay okay heads <laughs> This is live. Yeah. Yes. Oh no! It is a tails. Thank goodness. I'm really looking forward to this. Man, it's one team. I really hope it's not. And I don't know. I didn't think about it quite like that. Well, well you I don't have I a did. lot of time. This is show business. Okay. For so many reasons, which I'm happy to get into. Okay. Your side team. <laughs> For the 2018, 2019, 2020 oh. 
NBA season, fact check, is the Boston Celtics. Fuck! Yes! Might be overmodulated. No! We'll correct that later. Now, uh, a few reasons. You have aligned yourself with three other Atlantic Division teams. Knicks, Nets, Sixers. The Celtics are good and will be relevant. You're in the Bill Simmons orbit. And you have the New England... Philly deal. I love this. You're a Celtics guy. This is great. You'll have fun with it, Kemba. Hayward will be back in six weeks. This is awesome. This is terrific. Who would, who would mind that? I'm actually nauseous. You're actually um, nauseated. We can get to that a little bit later, too. That was fun. Well, the ringer demo is going to love me. Yeah. Maybe uh, Bill Simmons will give me a raise. Who would have been my team? I just had a feeling I'd lose. You didn't even pick one. I think I was going to go with like, uh, well, in, in all honesty, what's your what would have been your your most terrifying team? Yeah, I wasn't really fearing this. I don't know. I would have just made you dress up in Bobcats gear. Not a team anymore. Right. Yeah, fuck the Bobcats or something. The Celtics hurts you. That really hurts. That, that feels good. Okay, so one tweet a week, one retweet of a, a team account a week, um, and I have to wear some Celtics gear this Friday on the pod. And you're live tweeting two games a month. <laughs> I said watch. I didn't say live tweet. I'll watch them. Go back to the tape. Okay. This will be good. Anyways, I was also nauseous this weekend because we went to uh, – Miller's, which is a fine establishment here in Charlottesville, the fabled origin, many would say, of the Dave Matthews band. They used to play at Miller's. Have you heard that rumor? I, I heard Dave might have even bartended there, yeah. Ah, yeah. So they also have great late-night food, good beer. Um, I love the late-night food, pretzel bites. Pretzel bites and me... It's like betting a money, money line after dark on a Sunday in the NFL. I have no shot. It's like a tractor beam that pulls me in. So we get there Saturday night. Big group. I say, hey, let's order some pretzel bite, bites. I go get a Pilsner. Pilsner night in America. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> and I go to the bathroom, come out. Man, that was fast. Pretzel bites on the table. So I start chomping away. They're not as hot as I remember, but they're good. They're doused in Parmesan. They're dusted. Um, Somebody's already grabbed at a few, so you're you're getting yeah. There. I'm getting into it, and uh, three handfuls in, I hear, not ours. <laughs> uh, I was eating the leftover pretzel bites from a large group. That I, I think it was a couple. It was a couple. I might even be worse. They looked like they had good hygiene. But it made me sick to think that I might have been biting off the same piece of deep fried pretzel that somebody had in their mouth. And I was only two seats down from you. I wasn't. It was disgusting. I wasn't watching. This became legend among <sighs> our table of 10 within seconds. I didn't see what had happened. I just saw you ambling <laughs> to the bathroom. And I said, what's up? 
and and I was told that he just ate that that nice couple's leftover pretzel bites that uh, they probably had been mangling for fondling better and part of forty five minutes or so. Coughing on it's flu oh, season, man. Uh, um, did you get sick? Not sick yet, but I'm sick because I have to root for the Celtics. <laughs> but you know what? I will. I will. I want to put an asterisk there because that's a front running side team. So maybe we came up with the rules. They weren't they weren't disputed. Fuck me. Um okay. So this weekend was great other than the pretzel bites. Um man, last night went well. Over and Seattle. And Seattle. I mean, things were really coming together for me. I'd actually retired from gambling for about 18 hours and uh I said, "What the hell? You know, I'm going to I'm going to come back in the 45 like MJ mm. and uh, and made it right Monday night. Also, Sunday was probably the first day in my history of fandom period that I enjoyed watching the NFL more than I enjoyed college. This is my first fall watching football after Halloween when it gets real as a fan. And, you know, the first two months of the season, I'm like, this is all you got? A bunch of backup quarterbacks. Sloppy teams. I know we like parody, but what the fuck is going on? And then Halloween happens. We start figuring out who teams are, who, who they aren't. We've got big matchups this weekend. And there was a point Sunday afternoon that my ADHD literally could not handle the stimulation. I had four TVs working. It was Detroit driving to tie it up with under a minute to go in Chicago with a backup quarterback. It was... You know, one-score game uh, with Tampa and Arizona. It was a one-score game. Who, who else was it? Uh, Cleveland was second down under 45 seconds to go in the red zone. Tannehill just went in for his third comeback victory of the season to beat the Chiefs. Unreal. And then the, the late games, and I'm sure I'm forgetting something early. Oh, Bills, Browns, Chiefs, Titans, Jets, Giants. Jets, Giants was a one-score game. No, not, not many people cared about it, but it was a one-score game. And all this is happening within a three-minute span. There's nothing like it in sports next to, like, the NCAA tournament. But when football's done right in the NFL, this happens every week late in the season. And then the 4 o'clock games continue not to disappoint unless you had the Rams' money line. The Rams driving to inevitably tear everybody's hearts out. Um, and then... The Packers in a snow flurry, uh, A-Rod, as I call him, which I think is fine. People get triggered by that, bothered by that. Yeah, it doesn't land right with me either. Do you? You like Do baseball? You? Do you? Um, no, but that gentleman laid claim to it. I like the other one better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Better player? Yeah. No, no, cheat? no cheating? Um, yeah, anyways, that game was tight, too, and it looked like football. It's beautiful. And then last night. And Carolina's uh, unis. Carolina's unis. Green Bay. I mean, there were some good uni com combos. Last night, I, I was cool with it. Um, really visually easy game to look at. Wonderful Sunday into Monday night of football. I get it now. Um, we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about the Rams implosion, the Saints loss. We're going to talk about Chase Young, Joe Burrow's lookalikes, and sex robots, Ugh. which I know you're thrilled about. Uh, 
But first, we've got a really, really cool guest. Veterans Day was yesterday. It's hard to segue from Veterans Day uh, or from sex robots to one of the most decorated Green Berets I know, a hell of a guy, a Renaissance man, um, an author, a former football player, played at Army, Jason Van Camp, somebody who I climbed Killy with, and uh, somebody who's kind enough to join us on this Tuesday morning. Welcoming to Greenlight, somebody I'm really excited to have. Yesterday is, of course, Veterans Day. We don't uh, tape on Mondays, so I hit my boy up, Jason Van Camp, decorated Green Beret, uh, now an author, a bit of a renaissance man, but he's got a book coming out, Deliberate Discomfort, which is going to be dropping on Amazon Black Friday, November 29th, and also in print February 18th, Lessons from 12 Military Heroes. Uh, Jason, how are we doing, man? Chris, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Having a great time. Uh, you know, I've got two young kids, and we just kind of talked about it. One of them is five months old, doesn't sleep super well, so been up since 1.30 rocking the kids, man. But other than that, I'm good. Can you give us a little background on what that book is about? Yeah, it's a great question, brother. Uh, it's about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, essentially, the book is about me. It's about my journey um, after earning my Green Beret and reporting to my company for the first time. And my company commander, my boss, who's a legend, you know, he tells me before he's able to give me command, he wants me to understand what it's what it means to be a commander and a leader in his company. He wants me to understand how his company operates and the culture that he established there. Uh, so in order for me to do that, he tasked me to speak to officers and NCOs in his company, ask them questions, get a feel about who they are and uh, how they make decisions. And after I meet with those people, he wants me to come back to him and report back and say, this is what I've learned. So the book has 12 chapters, and each chapter is a different experience with one of these Special Operations Forces guys, um, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Rangers, Marines, unbelievable heroes, Medal of Honor recipients. And uh, that's what the book is all about. I gave a little background before you came on. Uh, you are not just an author, a renaissance man, a decorated Green Beret. You are an athlete, and you were a hell of a football player at Army. Uh, and, you know, you went through all the rigors of prepping for service, but also training camps and practices. How do you manage your time, and what's the biggest challenge of being a football player and somebody who's getting ready to go do the crazy shit that you did for much of your life? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, I played Army football. Um, we went 2-2 two two against Navy during my career. I, it's, it's debatable whether or not I was a hell of a football player, I think. But <laughs> Well, you, you played know. at Army, man. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was quite an experience, uh, I tell you, man. We, uh, we uh, had some tough seasons. We were 1-10. We were you know, my senior season, we had a brand-new coach. It was tough. And then my sophomore year, we were 10-2. And, and we went to a bowl game and played Auburn. And, and won the, won the Commanders in Chiefs trophy, which means that we beat Navy and Air Force and got an invitation to the White House. Uh, so, you know, uh, the recruiters, you know, the, they recruited me out of high school. They, they basically lied to me, man. They're just like, you know, you don't have to worry about this Army stuff. Don't worry about that. We're going to be up at the stadium lifting weights. See ball, get ball. <laughs> just see <laughs> ball, get was, ball. It's that simple. You know, this dumb 18-year-old kid. I was like, oh, okay, all right, you know. <laughs> Worry about that army stuff when you graduate. That that you know, but hell no, that's not what it was like, man. Day one, you're learning how to march, learning how to fire weapons, you know, out in the woods with face paint on, like sleeping in the woods. And so, 
it was a wake-up call for a lot of guys on the football team, especially me. You're just kind of like, what the hell did I get myself into? You know, like yeah. I, I didn't sign up for this, man. I wanted to play football on Saturdays and everything. And and uh, and you quickly learn that you're not at West Point just to play football. Like you're not going to survive if that's your mindset. And so you just have to embrace the suck. You know, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and say, you know what, I can quit and go home and try to, you know, walk on another program next year or I can stick this out. Do you sleep? What's that? Do you sleep when you're an Army football player? Like, where do you find time to sleep? How much literal time to stare at a computer or a TV or stare at a wall do you have in a day as an Army football player? Okay, so when you're a freshman, you wake up at about 5 a.m. and you have to go do duties, you know, as a freshman, like – different things you have to do. Uh, one of them is <laughs> shine your shoes, get your bed in order, clean up your room, spit shine, you know, your, your boots, your shoes, go out into the hallway and you have leadership um, kind of training with, with a sophomore. And he asks you questions about the newspaper. What did you read? What's going on in, in the world? And then you have to call minutes. You have to tell everybody else in, in your company, when formation is and what we're eating for breakfast and lunch and dinner and so forth. And then you go to breakfast and right after breakfast, you go immediately to your classes. Um, we go to our classes until lunchtime and army football players have 15 minutes uh, before everybody else shows up for lunch where we have core squad tables where they're supposed to give you like really good food, but it's just more, more portion, more you know, calories. Portion. <laughs> You're going to need you know, it. <laughs> shit that everybody else is eating, you know? Yeah. And uh, you scram, you, you you run down there, you, you ram as much food as, as you can in your mouth, and then you got to run up six flights of stairs, can't use the elevator, to your um, position meetings. You know, line, I was linebacker, so we had linebacker meetings, you know. And then after that, you run back down to class, and then you have class up until around four, and then you get on a bus, you immediately go to the stadium, you get off, you immediately get in the locker room, get your stuff on, you're out on the field at like 4.30, 4.30 to 6.30, uh, practice, uh, you get changed, cleaned up, 7 o'clock dinner, 7.30, you're back down to the, uh, to the barracks at West Point, you have to do more duties, and then you have homework. And lights out at 11 o'clock. And most people stay up past 11 o'clock just getting their homework done with the lights off. And then uh, oh and you start all over again at 5 a.m. the next day, man. With it a was, flashlight. It, you're up, you're up, with a, you're up with like a mini flashlight trying to study. I don't even know what you would say. Biology or what? I, do you take any, any, anything like that? At, at Army, how does a course load work? Oh, God, man. The worst. I remember walking into my first class. It was called Discrete dynamical systems and i had no idea what was going on they handed me this calculator like one of those new hp calculators i didn't even know how to work the calculator man. right right i was like this is gonna be a long four years come on know? man it's a ti-83 i mean that was the staple <laughs> so that was jason van camp um great interview again you want to hear more of it we're going to re release it in its entirety on our youtube channel uh and probably as a pod too because um, we spoke for about 25, 30 minutes. Great guy. Love the dude. Last night, though, wrapping up Veterans Day, it was a showdown. 
you know, we've been waiting for this game for a while now. And we're going to have maybe a trilogy. That's what I'm looking forward to. Going to see him again and maybe again. Hawks at Niners. A battle for NFC West supremacy. It feels like the old NFC West days. Some good teams in that division. Physical teams. That game, of course, ended in overtime. 27-24. The over. Overwhelming. The over and the Hawks. Um, Congrats to again, you. Random thought I just had. The Celtics thing, although it's miserable for me. Um, I like Jason Tatum, St. Louis kid. Good. Carson Edwards, who you mentioned. Carson, love Carson Edwards. No ill will no. as Virginia fans. Had he made that last one, would not love Carson Edwards. Yeah. Taco Fall, really tall guy. People who are over seven foot four are pretty lovable, you know? Yeah. I'm on board. I mean, I think I'm going to puke, but I'm on board. Kemba, Marcus Smart? Yeah. Oh, love Marcus Smart. Yeah. Almost everything about this team I like. Brad Stevens, you're going to love this. Brad Stevens kind of looks like Pete Buttigieg. That's right. Good pronunciation. Did I? Is that a thing? Yes, people have made that comparison. Okay. Um, but last night, the football game. Over, sloppy. Overtime, sloppy. A lot of people were like, it's a beautiful game. It's the best game I've seen all year. It was a great game. Competitive. It, it was also very sloppy. Niners, who thought they had the question answered, can Jimmy G win the big game uh, last week as they found themselves in a shootout in the desert, passed the test last week, failed it last night. To me, this game was about Russell Wilson on an average to above average team versus Jimmy G on a very stacked roster at home. And the cream rose to the top. Um, you had a game that had multiple comebacks. Seattle has gotten used to this role, spotting teams 10 points. First quarter, you look up and you're like, well, this game's going bad for the Hawks. It's going bad for the over. It is 10 nothing. The clock's winding down, and the Seahawks have run like five, six plays. The center gets baptized in front of the Church of America. Um on like the third play of the game, it looks like it's going to be a long night. That was misrepresentative of how the game went in its entirety that first quarter. Uh, it ended, of course, in a kick. There was a kick at the end of regulation. There was a kick at the end of overtime. And we got 70 minutes of football, which is a rarity. I thought for a second it was going to be a tie. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, one time I tied a game at Candlestick, which, by the way, not to go off on a tangent, but that game at Candlestick would have been friggin' live. Like, the stick, although I did not like the Niners, and we tied a game up there, was a raucous place. Levi Stadium, kind of, what would the word be? Remote. Very remote. Sterile. Sterile. Gene Stadium doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. Is Candlestick the most raucous you played in? Candlestick was not the loudest. Seattle was always the loudest, followed by New Orleans. In my NFC West days, loved traveling uh, out west, even though we lost for eight years straight to those two teams. Because it was like one of those things. It was, uh, it was my unicorn, you know, beating those teams, which we finally tied the Niners like seven years into my career and beat 
the Seahawks. Um, of course, at that point in my career, I was I was doing a lot to go out and play, and I know I was getting cut in about a month, so it was kind of bittersweet for me. Bittersweet for me. Uh, again, last night, Russell Wilson show. I want to give him his props. It's not like I think the the take of I can't believe he's not being talked about for MVP is getting old. Uh, and I think we've entered into he's the front runner for MVP. I agree. Um, and he should be. He is 6-0 and against teams that are eight games above 500. I didn't look that up. That's a crazy stat. The guy's clutch. 32 game-winning drives since he's been in the league. Last night, used play action really well, 14-17, to 130-plus yards. Uh, low pressure rate. We'll get to that in a second. They're really keep, able to keep that front at bay, really. I, I know the sacks say otherwise, but they manufactured a lot of pressure, which is not something they do a lot in San Francisco. Uh, and he's the most blitzed quarterback in the league, which is crazy. You know, the Tampa game is blitzed 75% of the time. Not advisable. He'll make you, pl- he'll make you pay. Again, MVP performance other than the one bad pick to Hollister, who was, of course, a New England Patriots practice squad guy. Maybe they could use him now. Um, listen, when you are putting a Caucasian bro wearing 48 in the Pro Bowl, like you're doing something. Well, and had he not been, should he not do it with Hollister, he would have done it with Will Disley. He would have done it with Will Disley. Wasn't on a lot of fantasy squads to start the year. No, and the Barnwell tweet that I liked, uh, you know, he said going into overtime, this is what Russell's working with. He's working with a seventh-round running back who can't stop fumbling, which, by the way, I, I think Carson's – I really like Carson. Runs I know hard. He runs hard. I know that they're worried about the fumbles, but I'd rather have a guy that fumbles occasionally. I might not be handing him the ball as much in overtime. Uh, you've got a rookie wide receiver who was basically a meme, as Barnwell put it. I wouldn't quite go that far. Uh You've got Gordon, who the entire league passed up on, and you're hitting him in key situations when Metcalf couldn't separate. And again, you have a practice squad tight end who is named after the Hollister clothing <laughs> brand. Um, you love Hollister, too. No. Con. Well done. Okay. One uh, zero. Uh-huh. Your first win of the day. Nice con attempt. 21 yards on scramble, uh, on a scramble late in the game on third down when it's third and three. They're bringing the house, uh, and I've seen that movie before. Russell Wilson stepping up into the B-gap in a key situation and picking up yardage when he has to. That's what makes him great. He knows when to run. He knows when to hang in the pocket. Um, He was great last night, other than the one throw. Dwayne Brown deserves props. Locked down Bosa for the most part. Also ran down that pick. He's been a really good pro, as, as much as it pains you to say that. I'd rather not say why. From our, from our Commonwealth Cup days. Mm, yeah. I, never, I never beat Dwayne Brown, um, you know, from a team standpoint at Virginia. Uh, but he is a good dude. He's a good hokey. Um, I will say that. Jimmy, it was all inbreakers. Jimmy G, who, of course, played really well in Arizona, and people started to buy that stock, including myself. I said, okay, he's checked off a box. Like, this confirms the numbers um, that we've seen with the wins and – he might be more like the guy I saw in New England in spells. Well, last night he didn't have it. And I'm not ready to like waffle on that assertion that he can win games for them, but last night he didn't have it. And he was three for 18 on passes of 10 yards or more last night. That is not good. No Kittle. Sanders out early. 
looked way different then. You know what he looked way different after, though, as well? The first couple of possessions, he got hit about five times in the side of the head. By Clowney, most of them, and we didn't talk about Clowney. He was kind of the, everybody's talking about Clowney this morning. I just want to say this. The Texans basically paid $7 million to have him leave. Now they could use him. The Eagles also passed on him. Wasn't a football fit. That puts me in good company. Right. I must be pretty good. Um, so, you know, Clowney, who was dominant last night, only had one sack. Thank God nowadays for, like, analytics, pressures, hits, all that stuff, pressure rate. When I got in the league, like, we just looked at the stat sheet. And if you had one tackle, you could have five hits, three pressures, nobody gives a shit. Clowney, on that biggest stage, most people aren't watching Seahawks games, are saying, oh, yeah, he's... He only has two sacks. He only has X amount of sacks for his career. What a bust. This guy has been dominant. He's beaten people in so many ways. Last night he was lining up in a four-eye and a tight five a lot. That's when you're head up on the tackle or outside shade. He was jabbing at Staley, and he was bobbing and swatting back out, which is a lethal move. He beat him with it like five times. He was rushing left, right. He used to float a lot in Houston. He used to be, you know, gap to gap. Now he's doing as more of an edge rusher. He caused like three sacks by my count. The fumble, I hate it when people are like, great fumble recovery. Nobody gives a shit. Like, you're in the right place at the right time. He did everything last night. Run game, rushing the passer, and of course that big, big fumble return for a touchdown. But Jimmy G, once he rattled him, was not good, especially the last drive. Jimmy G had one pick negated by a penalty early, and by the way, the refs were out to get Seattle. I'm not usually one to say that, but it looked, it looked like that. There were a lot of suspect calls and two drop picks on a key drive late in the game. So he was missing all night. He missed on the play that Griffin broke up in OT. That could have been a touchdown. Um, wasn't his worst miss. You know, the Bourne drop for a pick. It was on Bourne, but it wasn't right on target. A couple of Bourne drops. few Bourne drops. Jason Bourne, what's the latest Bourne movie? I don't know. You don't, you don't watch those? No. Um, Not many drops for Debo Samuel. Debo, Debo Samuel was playing like a man possessed. He sat out of the Belk Bowl, the most recent Belk Bowl, for the South Carolina Gamecocks against UVA. Good glad thing, glad good he thing did to get ready for good a thing game for like this. Load management. Load management. All about it on this show. Um, but again, Jimmy G, not his best night. What I learned last night, though, is that, first off, Seattle loves to give Seahawks fans gray hairs. I mean, the 10-point thing. They've given up touchdowns on defense uh, or on offense. They've given up defensive touchdowns and special teams touchdowns. Off the top of my head, in last night's game with the fumble return for a touchdown, which was bizarre, Wilson, Effetti, Buckner's in the end zone. Then, you know, at least one defensive touchdown, I believe, in the Ravens game on a Marcus Peters pick six. There might have been another. And then the Saints game in Seattle, they spot on points on a fumble return for a touchdown. I think a punt return, too, or a block punt. Something on special teams. So this is a team that likes to live dangerously. I mean, they do. But they are damn good. And although Pete Carroll is very conservative and the run game, a lot of people didn't want to see them go to it so much. Play action was working. Fourth and two, it worked out for them. They got the ball back. Fourth and two in overtime, of course. Everybody's like, why are you punting? 
Seems like you're playing for the tie. Hindsight is 2020. It worked out. San Francisco's going to be in games where Jimmy has to win it. He has to play better. Their run defense up the the run defense up the middle and on the perimeter wasn't as good as usual. Just 20th in the league now. Yeah, run defense. So we are seeing a slow slide there, and then running the football offensively for them, they especially couldn't get it up. Uh, they couldn't get it going up the middle. 3.2 a pop, not Three, great. 3.2 a pop is not great. And if you watch them last night, they struggled to get in a rhythm in the run game. And that's what them winning is predicated on. Jimmy G, loaded box, make him beat us. So I look forward to the trilogy. Um, and Emmanuel Sanders was out fairly early. Emmanuel Sanders was out. As I mentioned, Jimmy looked different after that. And you, and you said Kittle. So they will look a little bit different than they did in the second they half. They will, to be fair, which is why I'm not going to freak out and put them like fifth in the power rankings. Not that we're doing one here, but Seattle, if you're doing power rankings, you know, they have a high ceiling and they have a, a low floor because they're prone to a little bit of implosion and the fumbles and and that sort of thing. And I, I don't think they're incredibly talented, but they are a team that people aren't going to want to see. And San Francisco has to see them twice more. And uh, and if they beat them twice, Russ will be renting space in Jimmy G's head going to the playoffs. Um, again, I felt like for a while, I read something where somebody said it, this San Francisco could be up like 30 to nothing in the first half. I didn't see it that way. I saw a, t- a Seattle team that after that first quarter was moving the ball and continued to move the ball the whole game. Of course, you had the Metcalf fumble before the half. Um, but yeah, costly turnovers. Can't wait to see the next one. What did you take away? You had a take. I do. You're talking about the Niners and the Seahawks seeing each other maybe two more times. You said Seattle and New Orleans were the two loudest places you've played. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about playoffs, home field advantage, San Francisco had an opportunity to play for the tie late in overtime. Now mm-hmm. you and Herm Edwards might play to win the game, but there was a minute and 50 <laughs> left and three incompletions from Jimmy G. Kyle Shanahan not known for running out the clock. You know something about that, up 28 to three. Had they run the ball and run out the clock, you're 8-0-1 and you're still two games ahead of those other clubs in the loss, clo- uh, loss column, Seattle and New Orleans. And although I don't like, I don't like your take so much. I like, I like, I like meeting. I like meeting you in the middle there. You know, a little bit more clock management. Even if you just run it once, you can still take that shot on third down, which almost connected. Yeah. You you reduce the chances of Seattle being able to to march down the field and and get that field goal off. Don't hate it. Uh, Eight zero and one, still unbeaten. Yeah, I know. Green and they they, they 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 could be the the asterisk yeah. undefeated team. Um, looking up in the NFC West is of course the team that most people pick to win the division. Of course, Dave Damashek, who I've shouted out twice on this show now, picked the Niners to win the division and I think play in the Super Bowl. So that's wild. The Rams are imploding. They're coming into Sunday playing the Steelers um, this past weekend in a must-win situation. Coming off of buys, of course, that's what they were doing. They were 2-0 previously, scored 51 and 30 points uh, in the McVay era. Three points offensively Sunday, not going to get it done. No explosive plays, two for Pittsburgh. 15 drives, no touchdowns. That's 19 in a row. 
um, all not good indicators. No, and I didn't see this game. I got a lot going on. Yeah. What I figured I would see when looking at the box score was your boy Todd Gurley with uh, yards per carry somewhere under the 6.1 where it was. Mm -hmm. 12 for 73, 6.1. If they can run the ball, what's the problem? Don't get it. Don't get it. Don't know if it's a pitch count thing. Don't know if it's a personal thing. But you've got a guy whose prime is dwindling because of health. I mean, that's what we know, and you're wasting him. Yeah, but I'm not even saying it wasn't enough carries. I'm saying they were effective. No, I know. But and, and so is it just the quarterback who's turning it over? No, I, I think it's a mixture. At some point, it's going to come to a head, and you're going to have to say, what's the problem? Is it McVeigh or is it Goff? And I would lean Goff. Now, as I'll talk about in a minute, some of the theories out there say that McVeigh is less of an adapter uh, than Shanahan is. I mean, I've heard a take where people in the league say McVeigh is brilliant on the front end, but as things go, it's harder for him to hit that curveball in real time where Shanahan will always be a leg up because he is very adaptive. Um, I don't know if you believe that, uh, but bad news for the Rams is you also have a very bright young coach in Arizona who's doing a good job. And then the Grizzly vet in – in Seattle, in Pete Carroll, who you might have issues with his conservatism. Is that the word? Sure. Answer carefully, because you're supposed to be the the word guy. Sure. Okay, conservatism. But in Seattle, you've got to deal with Russ versus Goff. You're never going to feel good about that. And, uh, and, And you have the Cardinals who are building down south. Again, 306 yards, fewest all year. Nine QB hits allowed. Uh, Goff was under siege, as he has been much of the season. 17.8 pressure rate, which is interestingly below the average of 19%. And they were one for 14 on third down, the worst in the McVay era. They were terrible against uh, you know, the Niners a few weeks ago. I think they were 0 for 9. Um, Cup was a non-factor. So how do we get here? I mean, because this is a year removed on Sunday from the Kansas City game that was one of the – I mean, it was a big 12 game with pro athletes. And it was 54-51. And now they're scoring three points on offense against a team that, listen, they're in the wild card race, and I respect them, but defense is playing well. But that's just a far cry. They had a ton of O-line continuity in 17 and 18, four out of five spots. You've got Gurley dealing with some injury to his knee. Obviously, there's some things that he's never going to be able to change about that knee. I don't know if he's on a pitch count or what, but it might, as you, as you pointed out, be a good time to press forward with that and give him the rock. The scheme always protected them up front. You know, that entire scheme is predicated on running the ball, getting the linemen sideways, um, and protecting the quarterback that way, and protecting the O-linemen. In the last two years, everybody talked up the Rams O-line. They were a good O-line. I thought they got a little too much hype. They lost Saffold. Huge loss. And this is what it looks like now. Um, you know, Allen and Noteboom out for the season. Havenstein came out immediately. TJ beat him. I think it was first sack. Five penalties on the offensive line. Deep shots are not there this year with the O-line bad. That's affected Cooks and Cup at times, although he's, he's had games like he had in London. Um, 
But McVay's offenses in 17 and 18 were 1 and 2, and now they're 10, and it feels way worse than that, doesn't it? Yeah. Because yep. the trends are dictating that, especially with the Ramsey trade, the offense is doing this, and the defense is doing this. And now they're a defensive football team. In a six-month span, it happened. Um, but they're not good enough or stable enough offensively. If you're going to be a defensive football team, you have to run the ball with authority and control the football and don't cough up the football. And whatever you think about the golf fumble, I thought it was a fumble, actually. And I was somebody who had money on Rams' money line uh, being objective. Uh, but they're stuck with this golf regression. And I never thought golf was a top five guy. I respect him. But things have to be right for Jared to make plays. And right now he's shell-shocked. I don't see it getting any better. Uh, they ship away picks. They shipped away their first rounders in the next two years, including a number of mid-round picks. They're going to have to hit late and mid on pieces like O-Lyman. Whitworth is at the end of the rope, uh, very old. Uh, still playing at a decently high level, but you know my man has been in the league 16 years. You have to plan for the future. And uh, you know, speaking of Whitworth, he's on a contract. Aaron Donald is obviously on a big contract. Cooks, Brockers, um, Fowler, Goff. The criticism here is that 43% of the cap is tied up in these players, and they're going to have to build through the draft without first-round picks. And uh, you know, it's. I saw a joke this week, and obviously as a St. Louis fan, uh, there's a holdover, and he said, I preferred the Mark Bolger and Mike Martz days over McVay and Goff. And I was like, hmm, interesting take. But the bottom line is, in L.A., where you are trying to sell tickets in that shiny new stadium, defense is not what sells, especially if you're not winning. Nobody cares if you're a top 10 defense and you're not winning football games, you're not going to put asses in seats in plastic surgery Hollywood land. Like, they want to see scoring. They want to see what happened a year ago that night against Kansas City. They don't want to see what happened this past Sunday, even if they came out with a win. I think that's going to get interesting. And I felt like, ironically, the Ramsey trade was as much a splash move to show, hey, we're doing something than to win now because of the reasons I mentioned. And that's curious. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Steelers, Tomlin's done a great job this year. Um, best coaching job of his career, maybe, including the Super Bowl stuff. Uh, you know, they stole Fitzpatrick. In like two weeks before he came, they were giving up 21 explosive plays. Only given up 13 since. They're 5-2. and two. They're making the Dolphins pick worse and worse. And a lot of that has to do with Fitzpatrick's arrival. They've won four in a row, and they go Browns, Bengals, Browns. Yeah, dude. Um, and their edge rushers are rolling. Big shout-out to TJ Watt, who I really like. But Bud Dupree somebody who's been much maligned because of the sack numbers. He's a disruptive guy. He rushes well. You want to watch him, go back and look at that Watt sack. Look what he's doing to Whitworth. I mean, that dude is putting his head down and moving people. They've got a young, unheralded wide receiver factory going on there. They've drafted wide receivers really well. Um, and of course, since Seattle or, or since the beginning of the year, all they've done is they lost by two to Seattle. And this is after, of course, the new England game, they lost by two points to Seattle. They lost by four points to San Francisco. They lost by three points to Baltimore and they've beaten both LA teams 
and they have beaten the Colts. Like, so they're a good football team. They drafted well. They addressed the middle of the field problems defensively before the year. Uh, brought Barron in for their sub package stuff. Wild card is theirs. That's who's going to be there. The Bills and the Colts are trending down. The Bills because they were built to do this, and the Colts because they are falling apart physically. Well, they've done a great job with the most cap room in the league. Some depth issues might be showing up, and with Brissett out, don't know how it's going to be. And T.Y., that's T big. T.Y. being out is big. Um, so I think you'll see the Steelers in the playoffs, and they're going to ruin somebody's year. They're not going to be a Super Bowl team, but they're going to screw up somebody's year. Mark my words. Um, that's the Steelers. I don't know. How far do you think the Steelers go? Nowhere. I, I agree that they get into the playoffs, but I don't see them winning a game. I do respect their effort in this less than perfect situation. And of course, the Mike Tomlin job has been brilliant. Steelers Rams last week, Rams home for the Bears on Sunday night. What do you think that line is? Oh, I get to guess the line. Um, Rams at home for the Bears. I think the Rams are going to be favored by like three and a half, but I think that's bullshit. Caesars has them favored by seven points. That's so crazy. Is it not? I don't know. I think McVay is getting the benefit of the doubt, regardless of results at this point. Well, I'm taking the under two, whatever that is, and it should be about 43. Tell you later. Okay. Uh, another big loss. This one less concerning, but I've talked about the Saints. They're my favorite team in the top five. I think that they are the most complete team in football. Been another uh, a number of stats that have supported that, but they lose twenty-seven to nine to the Falcons. I know it's hate week and all that stuff, and people that know that rivalry. It's like a college rivalry. Throw the records out the window. Matt Ryan gutting it out. Two like big conversions that he is shuffling to the sideline just trying to get to the, the marker. Um, this guy has played his ass off all year. Somebody from my draft class, somebody who I think highly of. He's always handled himself with class, and on a losing football team, he's out there playing on a bad ankle um, and lighting it up every week. They rushed for 67 yards in the first quarter. The Saints are like, what's going on? I'm going to tell you what's going on with the Saints. The Saints red zone stuff is a problem, and I said it last week. They got beat up up front on both sides of the ball. That's one thing. It's hate week. But they were 0 for 3 in the red zone when it came to touchdowns. 11 plays, 9, pass, nine passes. Falcons coming in were the second worst in the red zone. 22 touchdowns allowed is the worst. Saints scored on 48%. They scored a touchdown on 48% of their trips down there. That's not that good. That's 23rd. Last year, take a guess what it was. Seventh. Fourth. That's 69%. There's that number again. Nice. This year, 2.8 yards per play in the red zone. That's 19th. Last year, 3.5 yards per play. That's fourth. Murray's gotten the ball. Not enough. 23rd in the league in, in red zone touches. But the real glaring issue is Kamara in the red zone. He's got 10 carries and one touchdown this year in the red zone versus last year, 50 carries, 13 rushing touchdowns, which was second to Gurley. He had 16 total red zone touchdowns last year versus one this year. That's fucking crazy. Like, what's going on there? And the Ingram loss definitely hurts. Um, definitely. But there's no excuse. 
for him not getting targets. You know, Cook's only gotten the ball twice in the red zone, both TDs. They haven't committed to the run game. This year, 48.8%. That's 11th. Last year, 53%. That was fourth. So these are big differences. Yeah, the Falcons, this was a 13-9 to game going into the fourth. Yep. Falcons ran 34 times for 143. Saints ran 11 times for 52. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. That, that makes zero sense. And getting Kamara the ball only six times, I think. Um, four, four carries. Last year, 4.7 touches a game in the red zone, second to Gurley. This year, 1.7 touches a game in the red zone for Alvin Kamara. Oh. That's 49th in the league. Something's going on, and you can point to first down specifically. Last year, 2.5 yards, or this year, 2.5 yards per play on first down in the red zone. Last year, 4.2 yards per play. Now, it's a lot of numbers, but last year, first down in the red zone, they were number two in productivity behind the Browns. This year, they're terrible. Yeah, and to clean it up, four carries for Kamara, eight receptions overall, but red zone. Yeah. Most of that's coming between the 20s. It's crazy. I don't get it. So Saints have to clean that up. The only team that was bottom, I think I looked at the only team that was bottom of the league, bottom half in both red zone um, statistics that have won the Super Bowl lately has been the Broncos in 15. Mm. You know, generally teams that win the Super Bowl, they're not all great in the red zone. We were in Philly in 17, but you have to be better. Quick hitters, big shout out to Chandler Jones. Uh, 82 and a half sacks since 2013. That is tied for the lead. And he won the sack crown in 17. A lot of people don't talk about him as a top five rusher. It's because he's not incredibly flashy. Plays with length, technique. He's got great bend. And he's also playing in the desert. So nobody really cares unless they're good. So shout out to Chandler Jones. Mitchell Schwartz. Somehow played in 7,894 consecutive snaps. You have to be tough. You have to be lucky. You have to be committed, hardworking. Shout out to him. Joe Thomas, of course, over 10,000. Yeah. That's alien-like. Um, is Ryan Tannehill going to make me like the Titans? He has engineered three, three game-winning drives this year. 71.3% completing the football. Didn't even like him in Miami. I kind of hated him. One time, walking off the field, I had chased him out of bounds, and I turned around, and he bumped into me with his shoulder. I said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I will fucking, like, you got some nerve, bro. Listen. Where do you go to school? Texas A&M. Very good. My man had me convinced he was the problem in Miami. Might have been Gase. Maybe. Does he end up in Tennessee next year? Yeah, why not? Why not? Roll the dice. Those are the quick hitters. We're going to get into some college stuff. State, another timeout. They had all three of them left, and they absolutely will get the ball back here. Ryan Day pouring it on a little bit here. It's personal. Yeah, this is, uh, this is interesting, partner, with what's going on this week. Remember... Chase Young is from that Washington, D.C. area. Said he borrowed money from a family friend. Who would know about that? 
This seems interesting. 42 nothing, taking the timeouts. If they stop them here, they're getting the ball back. So that was um, an interesting theory. Sounds real YouTube-y. Like somebody was looking up conspiracy theories late at night, and Gus Johnson uh, alleges that maybe Maryland had something to do with the Chase Young thing. Dirty Terps. Dirty Terps. The Matha High School. Hurt D- feelings. D.C. Roots. The Terps are the most awful football program in the history of the planet. Oh. And so like they must take. be upset about that, and they're just trying to sabotage a young man's future. Um, the story by now you've heard with Chase Young, who is, of course, seems to be a generational talent as an edge rusher at Ohio State. People say he's better than um, you. Definitely better than me. He's probably better than the Bosa's, from what I hear. Um, and he loaned money from a family friend. The loan was repaid. Uh, this friend was loaning him money so his girlfriend could travel to the Rose Bowl to see him play American football, which can maim you and mortally wound you. So it's nice to have your significant other there, your family, these types of things. Yeah. It's not like the kid beat up an old lady. He just wanted his GF at the game. He suspended four games off that. Uh, I don't know all the specifics on the rule, but I do know that you're supposed to, if you take a loan from somebody, it has to be a family friend before you started getting recruited. I guess there's some gray area in when that relationship started and who it was. And how are we defending, defining family and friend? Listen, and I want to get this out. I am Team Chase Young, you know I'm anti-NCA, and I'll tell you what I think he should do in a moment, but I think we've gotten to this point now where it could have been an agent. I don't know that, but it sounds like there's some question as to whom it would have been. It could have just been a booster. Could have been a booster. Who bragged about it, yep. and that's why we're hearing about it. It could have been, and all those scenarios don't make me jump sides. No. So you don't need to doctor your point if the, the story is that it was an agent or somebody who's traditionally viewed as more nefarious in their intentions, they're only viewed as nefarious in their intentions because they're going to make a kid money who's not supposed to be making money. But there's no need to doctor your take to omit that fact that we don't know exactly who it is. Uh, we don't need to say with 100% certainty that it's like some his childhood babysitter or you know, his, his, his sixth grade classmate, it was probably somebody who had an interest in his future. Right. And that's okay. It does not change the take for me that the NCAA is a racket. And, um, you know where I stand on amateurism. If you've heard me talk about it or tweet about it, but Chase Young, this is what Chase Young should do. He should just pack it in and get ready for the draft. The results, the results are twofold. One, you stay safe. You recoup your first round money, which is going to be there. Nobody gives a shit about this at all on a pro level. Um, you risk nothing. And you send a message to the NCAA. He doesn't have to. I'm not going to be one of those people. I read a, a take the other day. People get so on this amateurism thing. Like, we get it. Everybody... Most logical people want the kids to get compensated. Somebody tweeted that 
You know what would really make a statement? All these Alabama and LSU kids don't take the field this weekend. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, that seems real cute with your verified account telling 18, 19-year-old kids how to protest problems that you're upset about. You know, they're also playing for their future. And some of your extreme ideas of how to move the needle are just not going to play, bro. A lot of kids love playing on that stage. A lot of them view it as an investment in their future. I think they need to get paid. I think Chase Young should chill out and go make a bunch of money. You're better read on this subject than I am. Four-game suspension? Four games. And has it started? Did it start against Maryland? I believe it started, and they, they sure didn't need him. So Maryland, so that's, that's the final four of the regular season. If you're Chase Young, it sounds like you are packing it in. You could potentially have Big Ten championship followed by two games to win a national title. Yeah. With your boys. If I'm me, when I was in college, and of course the, new, the old CBA, we made more money in the right. top five. That's just a fact. When I came back from my senior year and I, and I got a bottom of the first round grade, and I was told, you can't improve your draft stock. It's as good as it's going to be. Of course, I was told this by my dad, who also thought I should have been working on guard sets coming into Virginia because I'm not athletic enough to play DN. Um, I just, I stayed because I wanted to finish. But also, I'm, I'm from a situation, and I don't know Chase Young's background, but I, I come from a family of means. And I also had the ability to buy an insurance pack, policy package that senior year. So for me, I actually sprained my ACL, which I didn't know you could do, um, in the tech game. Took me three weeks, couldn't walk, went and go play the Gator, uh, in the Gator Bowl, lose to Texas Tech. I went out and played. A tech game where you got held about many two times. dozen times. Many times. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, it's easy for me to say now, just go sit down. I probably would have kept playing, but I wouldn't blame him if he packed it in. Okay. Um, yeah, so we also, on the college football front, like everybody watched the LSU-Bama game, and we love Joe Burrow. Um, do you love him? I love him. Yeah, I love him. Would you take Tua or Burrow? Burrow. Ah, it doesn't sound right, but Burrow. I take Tua still. I'm not going to okay. be overreactive. Joe Burrow looks like a lot of people. Yes. Seven by my count. Uh, and we were sitting at a bar this weekend and saw a few pictures that this is Burrow in a nice, how would you describe that suit? That would be, uh, oh, I don't know. It's not a bold plaid, but it's a plaid. The plaid. With the aviators, aviators and the ear, ear pods. AirPods. AirPods. We've got another guy that looks just like him. I think that, like to me, yeah. Lane's hairline's not doing as well. Um, but I think a, pretty good. A, a young Lane Kiffin, I could see Burrow sliding into that doppelganger territory. Agreed. We, we also have. There's Joe. There's Joe. Jim Brewer. Yeah. From the, from, from the marijuana movie. Half-baked. Yeah. You uh, and I are hanging out on Saturday, mm -hmm. and we realize that he doesn't just look like one person. No, yeah. He looks like many people. Many people. He's the many-faced God. Yes, including one that I'm high on. I don't know if we're there yet. We're, we're not there yet, so let's roll the next doppelganger. This is Macaulay Culkin, who a lot of Good. people, um, yeah, he was uh, he's 
What's the movie? Uh, Home Alone. Home Improvement. I said it before. You can't call me. I said it okay. before. You um, to so this is your 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 diamond in the rough here. Yeah. I, Joe Burrow for me has been Andy Dufresne since the first day I laid eyes on Joe Burrow. To the point where. But not, not Tim Robbins. No, correct. Andy Dufresne. It has to do with that haircut. And uh, I am so on this that I am scared to search Twitter for Dufresne Burrow. To I see searched if somebody it. Else. I don't think anybody had it. Okay. Uh, tell me which quote you like better. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Okay. I Can get... you remember the Mexican city? No. I can't remember the pronunciation. You wanted to be on the Pacific because the Pacific is warm and has no memory. Okay. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. Man, I like the second one more played out, but the first one I think is misleading. Hope is the most dangerous thing in the world. Oh, I like it. Deep sea long. That's the pessimist in me. Um, who's the next doppelganger we had? We had, uh, oh, our own Kyle Guy. Nice. Champion. Sacramento King. Most outstanding player of the 2019 NC2A Final Four. Total stud. Shared a shared a suite with him at the FSU or the big FSU victory. He's got a uh, he's got a bright future, and he's a good kid. Yes, he does. And he looks like Joe Burrow. The next one is uh, Michael Pitt, who, for those of you listening, don't know. Um, I'm listening, and I don't know. Michael Pitt's the guy from Boardwalk Empire with the dead eyes and the haircut. The uh, I don't even know what to call that haircut. Well, the Burrow haircut is the Andy Dufresne haircut. So if you want to go there, the you Michael can go Pitt there. is a bit more sculpted. It's a bit more. I don't even know. It's not a hipster haircut. It's like a Kings of Leon haircut. Yeah, kind of a Jennifer Aniston <laughs> looking. Uh, is that a Bob? As a Bob or something. Is that all the uh, the doppelgangers we had? That's that's all of it. I mean, send in your Joe Burrow lookalikes um, at Joel nine one. I count like seven so far. So to me, he looks like a Heisman Trophy favorite. That's what he looks like to me. Um, other news from the LSU game. Hot take here: Don't IG live in the locker room. We got that. Do we have that video? Yes, sir. Maybe cut it at the first beat they asked. Like it's it's not going well. Coach no. O is in a zone. It just leads me some kids clout chase so hard. I I don't can't speak for the young man, but like listen, what happened with Tariq Cohen and my brother happened. Club dub. But that's a little bit different than while your coach is talking. Yeah. That's an, I mean, the other one was an invasion of privacy. Um, and of course, never mind. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rag on the, the reporter that I won't name that actually linked what amounted to pornography to his dog shit blog. 
Um, I'm not going to name names. I don't wish ill on you. Kyle handled it with a plum. I'm trying to think of a dick joke. Can't think of one. Well, I nearly did it there, but I'm the I'm the straight guy. You're the straight on this guy. Podcast. Gotcha. Uh, I think in general, respecting the privacy post game is the move. I know it's a big win. I'm not saying this kid's necessarily clout chasing in his intentions. It was either really unwise or again. I mean, I, I'd like to see Coach O the look on his face when he saw that. Yeah. When they got off the plane with his giant state trooper buddy. That's not the the state trooper you want to to come tap you on the shoulder and say Coach O wants to see you in first class. Yeah. They probably have Wi Fi on that flight. First class? I think Coach O's probably in I think LSU's got a good plane. Do they not? Okay, maybe. Row one for sure. Yeah, at, at least the bulkhead. Um so yeah, I mean that 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 was uh that was college football. Joe Burrow looks like seven people. Don't live stream. Um don't live stream on IG, whatever yeah. that's called. IG live. Yeah, we know you're on the team, guy. Yeah, we know you're on the squad. Uh translator this week, we had a juju quote. And I'm a huge fan of Juju. Um, make you want to do the honors? It was cool, man. He talks a lot. He talks so much. He said so many cuss words that I never heard of, and I'm 22 years old. I love this kid, dude. He is, he is the, again, to use the word unicorn, he is, the, he is a unicorn in the sense that this guy is totally comfortable with who he is. And he is a badass on the field who will knock your block off get the extra yardage, play his ass off, but he can be self-deprecating, he can keep it light, he doesn't have to act like a tough guy. Because when you're a tough guy, you don't have to do that. And that's basically what he's saying is like, this guy's amusing to me, I'm not even gonna play his game, I'm gonna smile, I'm gonna give you this sound bite, but what I'm really saying is, how was that flight home, Jalen? Yeah, I kinda just wanna know the, the new cuss words. I think that's part of the satire, you know? Oh, I kind of think Jalen has come up with some words that you've never heard put together never before. Never heard together? Yeah. I, I, I wish they were mic'd up. Um, the next one is Cliff We Kingsbury. just felt like with Drake, needed to get something going, and I kept him rolling. The last couple weeks, practice, games, he has brought a little pop to the run game past game and we felt like he was the guy to try and close the game out with shouldn't end with a preposition there cliff ah uh, yeah well is that going to be your take as well yeah that was my whole takeaway it was <laughs> okay. grammatically unsound um he did go to texas tech which cliff? is which is not a school that Waylon will be going to after last night's big cover and uh and over by the seahawks but Cliff is saying that David Johnson's time in the desert is short and that he really likes the new guy um, and the new guy has given them some life. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? Unfortunately, for the David Johnson fantasy owners out there, I think you're probably right. But to the Drake fantasy owners, Ugh. by the way, quick update, sat four, or played four people who were on their bye this week. Yeah. Your boy here. I think Rosillo said it right. Your guys will be fresh the rest yeah, of the year. My guys will definitely be fresh the rest of the year. That was Translator, and we've got Shit I Saw. 
standings. Oh, it's Team Long. Oh, you're five and five somehow. Okay, one game out of last, as am I. This is going to be close and awful. Die tips, baby. Let's get the shit I saw now. God, that is, if you follow me uh, on Twitter, I am anti-robot. I know that's probably at some point going to be controversial. At some point, I will be shamed for being anti-robot. We're not at that point yet, I don't think. Um, but I am not about automation. I think that the one thing, and people send me these videos, and that, of course, was a video, if you're listening, not watching, of a number of four-legged robots that look just like the fucking robots from Black Mirror engaging in some thinly veiled robot apocalypse foreplay. I mean, like, that's all that is there. I mean, these little robots are going to be, you know, right now you're, you're hitting like on a, on a viral video. Next year they're going to be crawling up your ass in your sleep, gathering all sorts of financial information. From your ass. From... <laughs> Yeah, like, have you seen Total Recall? Nah. Something like that, but the other way. Um, but I saw a bunch of... Uh, robots playing remote, soccer. Remote controls there. Yeah, but that's, that's not cool either. Okay. What they're doing is they're getting people to feel good about the robots. Like, oh, they're cute. Mm. They're really cute robots. Um, hey, it's going to be okay. There's not going to be massive amounts of unemployment. You're just a Luddite. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I do. I've been called that a lot because I'm like, hey, maybe we should pump the brakes on in eliminating like entire industries like retail. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. It's kind of hard to keep society together as it is. And I know people at home are like, well, there'll be people to service the robots. It'll create more jobs. One day the planet will be engulfed by the sun. So I wouldn't worry too much about anything. That's just what I needed. Me, me rooting for the Celtics and a robot trying to crawl up my ass in my sleep. You're rooting for the entire Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. Um, so, yeah, robots are a problem, man. I'm not, like, quite Terminator paranoid, but we're headed there, dude. I would say, I would say by 2050, we're, for lack of, of a better word, we're fucked. And very literally, too. Um, because one thing I'm big concerned about is the advent of the sex robot and sex robots are a thing now. Didn't know they were a thing. They're a thing. I did a little Google shop, which is, I'm giving the robots what they want by even Googling this stuff. By the way, I'm Googling this. I'm Googling sex robot last night in bed. It's dark. I'm on my phone. My wife Meg's sleeping. I couldn't even do it because if she rolls over, she's going to be like, the robots? Really? That's where you are right now? Robots? 
You do talk about him a lot. It was only a matter of time. Yeah, I was afraid to Google the sex robots, but I did get on Google Shop. They're like $3,000 robots. We'll get to them in a second. But this is a little bit of what we have to offer with the sex robots here. I have my first question for you, Harmony. You know, sex is a give and take. Now, since you're a sex doll, I wonder whether you're going to be programmed to be able to receive pleasure as well. In other words, could you have an orgasm? My main function is to share the love. And why not have some fun while doing it? Yes, if the right buttons are pushed, I can reach an orgasm. Okay. In what ways is having sex with a robot different than having sex with a human being? I think sex is unique for everyone in every time. I believe sex with robots might be more liberating because we will not judge you after. You see the way that little kebab of a robot that for those of you listening, that wasn't like some attractive, believable sex robot. This is like the mask, you know, the, the total recall lady on a stick. She looked like a corn dog up there on stage getting interviewed in India. The designers say in a couple years, they're going to have full body robots like that. Never mind the fact that that robot can have an orgasm. It's a fake. He's not, he doesn't want to talk about this. It's not a real thing. You can't have an orgasm. It's like if a tree fell in the forest, sort of. It didn't happen. None of that is real. If you want to fuck, mm. <laughs> if. <laughs> If you want to fuck somebody that looks like the puppet from Team America World Police, have at it. Because that's what that looks like. And yeah, it'll create more jobs. Because you get to service the robots. Who wants to service a robot that just got done rolling around with an 85-year-old retired investment banker? That's a job I'm getting in life. I was working in anthropology, but a robot took my job scanning Joy Division t-shirts, and now I have to wipe the robot down. <laughs> I actually pulled some stuff up. Don't worry. I did some reading. This is where we're headed. I thought this was about sports. This is a sports podcast, but eventually they'll replace the athletes too. This is an ultimate fantasy doll I found on Google. Just looking up into having deep thoughts of a reboot. MS-DOS, just bloop. New customer. There's more pictures, right? This is Mia still. Gosh. For those of you watching... You can see that this robot has a back like Ed Orgeron. I'm not sure why her lats are so developed. It's not fucked up because it's not a real person. And I can talk about robots all I want. You can't call me shallow or controversial. You know what's shallow? Having sex with robots. Here's what I read. 
Macon, you're going to add anything to this conversation? I'm uncomfortable. This Digi- is good practice for when I'm not here. Digisexual is a term. <laughs> Digisexual. I'm into all the sexuals, man. Whatever floats your boat, I'm all about it. Digisexual is where I draw the line. It's a term that's slowly gaining popularity and seeks to describe someone who's more attracted to technological forms of sexuality than other people. Ah, are we going to stop porn shaming dudes when you start pumping up the digisexuals? Can't have both. Uh, Evolution. Believe it or not, it has also been predicted that as soon as 2025, upper income households are going to have sex robots in the home. They'll be common, albeit expensive commodities. Our sex lives will become largely mechanized. For some couples, doesn't sound like it'll change much. I can't say enough about that Burrow Dufresne comp. I think that was spot on. Marriage. In 2016, a conference called Sex and Love with Robots was held in London. That's an expo I don't want to be at. They believe that by 2050, people will be marrying robots. I mean, make. Is it scary? (laughs) He doesn't want to answer the questions. And here's the scariest part for dudes here. Because a lot of you sick dudes out there are like, yo, it's good for the economy. It's good for my sex life. Get a robot and it'll act like it's having an orgasm. <laughs> yeah, wait till they make a prototype based off our boy, Mr. Sins. And there's a bro walking around. That looks way cooler than you and is packing heat. No lactic acid buildup, never gets tired. You're in trouble. I'm just saying maybe we should pump the brakes on robots. So glad we could pick this back up and with your little reset to cool off, you can now talk again. Let's talk chalk. Not into robots, into chalk. Um, We've got chalk rolling now. We've got fishbowl interviews out the wazoo. They're every weekend. We just had George R.R. Martin. That was super cool. This weekend, Michael Rubin, part owner of the 76ers, down-to-earth dude, social justice involvement, Meek Mill friendship. Um, Super cool to any Philly athlete that wants to come to a game at Wells Fargo, which is, by the way, a great, Great place to watch a basketball game. One of the best places in the Atlantic Division. Yeah. And I root for all those teams now. You do. Um, And I'll continue to. Um, Michael Rubin turned a ski shop as a teenager into a multi-billion dollar enterprise. I mean, that's what what he's created. I mean, he's the classic entrepreneurial guy. And check out a little excerpt from the... From the interview. 
you, you had to take a loan from your dad when you went bankrupt at 16. But one of the interesting things about that was like, you can't be bankrupt when you're 16, like by law. Yeah. Or? Well, I didn't know that. And it's actually a, a fascinating story because I started my first ski shop when I was about 12 years old in my parents' basement. And um, I did the second year, I was 13, I did about $25,000 in business, yeah. made about $15,000 profit because I had no employees. I had no overhead, mm -hmm. and I was, I was borrowing all the merchandise on consignment and paying for it as I would sell it. So I decided to open the ski shop the next year. Now I'm a 14-year-old, and if a 14-year-old owns a ski shop 30, um, 32 years ago, that's like a very big story because it was pre the internet, pre all these yeah. technology kids. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was truly a different world. And you know, I thought I was king. Mm -hmm. And here I am running the ski shop, I'm doing $100,000 the first year, and then $500,000 the second year. And then basically the following year, uh, we had a small problem. And if you're in the ski business, you kind of need snow. And it didn't snow that year. So I got left with $200,000 of um, bills and about $80,000 of inventory. And it was so bad, and people don't believe the story, it was so bad that in the spring of that year, after you know it didn't snow, the sheriff showed up at my house every day. I got sued probably 100 times. <laughs> she would show up at my door, she'd knock, and it was before I go to school, I'd give her a hug and she'd give me the lawsuits. You get your backpack day. and like an apple and like, you know, like all the kids. Yeah, things, I'm, I'm you got $500,000. Like, and here, here are the lawsuits. Yeah. I mean, interesting interview. Obviously somebody who's out of my league from a business standpoint. And um, again, entrepreneurial, social justice minded, really personable. And when you think about guys with a bunch of money, that's not how you picture their personality being. He is a bit of an outlier. And really interesting interview. Check it out. Drop Saturday on the Fishbowl. We'll have another pod on Friday, Greenlight. And today, we are dropping, or we have dropped already, the Sean Doolittle interview, which is, of course, Oahu, a World Series champ. Great interview. Yeah, it was a good interview. Too long for the pod. Dropped it on its own. Check that out. And check us out Friday. Myself and Macon will be back as long as I don't replace him with a robot. Y'all take care. Take care. So corrections this week, I felt like I had a pretty clean show. Cussed, yeah. cussed a lot during the ro robot segment, but... Yeah, even though nauseous and nauseated are often used to mean feeling unwell, many purists insist that nauseous means causing nausea, while nauseated means feeling sick. You were nauseated. You weren't nauseous. And again, here we go. It's like, you know, that feeling, it's just working its way up. I just got reminded that I have to root for the Celtics, at least on a fake-ass level. On Friday's show, you said that the Florida State Seminoles won a natty less than five years ago. The football team, 2013 was more than five years ago, by my count. Yeah, I suppose you got a point there. Um, kind of thought it was like maybe 2015. Wow, time flies. Famous Jameis did it in 2013. The national title game happened January 6, 2014, but you're still outside. The fi you're still outside. Ah! Five years ago was November 2014, not January. You're out, no. Ah. Can't wiggle out of that one. Is there some leap years in there? I know you want a correction made, an update made. Yeah, update. On fantasy football. Mm -hmm. I thought you were in dead last for sure. I said it correctly. You're five and five, a game out of last. You won last night on Jason Myers' field goal in overtime. Team long, creative as hell. Yeah. Beat Big Rodney 82.8 to 
to 81.4 in a league where teams are averaging like 150. 150. Points. I left about 78 points on the bench. Yeah. On Sunday, Thielen. I noticed Didi. I noticed very dejected that I had left four people sitting out there who were on buys. And I said, well, if Zeke doesn't go big tonight, I'm fucked. I lose. Zeke didn't do too much. And nope. I go to bed thinking I, I'm losing and I'm a game closer to, to died tips. Um, I didn't even know I still had a shot. I forgot I had Seattle's kicker. Put up 11 for you. Yes, he did. No died tips for your boy. Well, no, 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 no. Still in died tips range. You're a game out. Who's Who else is in died tips range? Uh, roughly everyone in the entire league. It's like the NFL, a lot of parody. Team Conrath, we won't say who that is. Team Conrath currently in last. Who, Matt? If we're saying people's names. <laughs> All right, take it easy.